Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you enjoy the Creative Control podcast and want to support it with a monthly pledge, please visit patreon.com slash creative control. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash creative control with two Ks. You can pledge $1 a month or $4, $8, $30, $50, $100 a month, whatever you want. There are gifts and incentives to pledge. But more than anything, you can keep the show going. There's no other revenue stream for this podcast. I've been doing it for my own fulfillment and to contribute something to the culture. But I think it's time to see if I can generate some kind of salary from all of this work. So, if you appreciate Creative Control, again, please consider pledging a monthly amount. All of the info you need is at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening far from the matting crowd. Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck, What We Do in the Shadows, I'll See You in My Dreams, Live from New York, Ex Machina, and more. At Lakeside Hope House on Thursday, June 11th at 7 p.m., Jackie McNish and Sean Silkoff read from and discuss their latest work, Losing the Signal, The Spectacular Rise and Fall of Blackberry. Also on June 11th at the E-Bar, Royal Streets and Ivory Hours play a show together. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. For more information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Man, this is a very special episode of this show with a very, very special guest, an icon. I'm very excited to tell you about her, and I'll do so in just a moment. But I want to potentially redirect or maybe it's just direct your attention to this show's Patreon page. If you go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash creative control, you will see that if you so desire, or if someone you know so desires, they can pledge to this show to keep it going. If you become a Patreon patron, 
you're basically contributing a monthly amount of money. Could be anything you want. It could be four bucks a month. It could be four hundred and fifty-five million dollars a month. Whatever you feel is an appropriate amount to the thing that people like me on Patreon are making. You want to support it? You pledge a monthly amount. Now, since starting this Patreon account a little while ago, uh, thus far the show has garnered thirty-one very generous patrons. We are sitting at a hundred and sixty-two dollars total per month, and I've decided that if we can get this total up to $500 a month by the end of August 2015, then the show will continue. And if we don't, the show will stop. So that's the deal. If we can get up to $500 a month, uh, then we're fine by the end of August. If we can't, see you later. And that's that's fine. I'm, I'm fine. I like making the show, as you know. I like talking to people. And the show has been good to me. And I enjoy the fact that people like you like it. But I'm just trying to draw a line in the sand here or something. I don't know what this means, but I, it's that's it. I'm done. Or I don't want to be done. It won't be done. I think we can get to 500, can't we? Come on. I hope so. So that's the deal. End of August 2015, if we're not up to 500 bucks a month, done. So spread the word. Tell your friends. Let's get this thing up there. Let's keep the show going. Now, speaking of the show, on the program today... Buffy St. Marie. Can you believe this? Buffy St. Marie's on this show. Got a new album out called Power in the Blood. I caught up with her while she was in Ottawa uh, last week for the Truth and Reconciliation Closing Ceremony Celebrations. And she had some very insightful and thoughtful things to say. And my goodness, you're going to hear a new song from Buffy on the show? It's great. I can't believe this happens. I'm so lucky I have this show. I hope it continues. Listen to this. Me and Buffy St. Marie. The 32nd Annual Hillside Festival takes place July 24th, 25th, and 26th at Guelph Lake, Rain or Shine, featuring performances by... Astral Swans, Bad Bad Not Good, Badminton Racket, Baskery, Battle of Santiago, Braids, The Brothers Landreth, Bulgarian Voices Trio, By Divine Right, Tim Chasen, Nels Klein Singers, Constantines, Nick Crane, Alex Cuba, Daka Braca, Del Bell, Doldrums, Echo Deck, Darren Edens, Eloquent, Etiquette, Everlovin' Jug Band, Nick Ferrio, Jeremy Fisher, Crazy Four, David Francie, Michael Franti and Spearhead, Galacticats, The Good Lovelies, Great Lake Swimmers, Ash Grunwald, Lana Gurr and the Greatest Day. Hungai, The Henry, Suzanne Jarvie, Mo Kenny, The Cramdens, Daniel Lanois, Last X, Lee Reed, Lids, Look Vibrant, Le Luc, Minotaurs, Moonface, The Once, Nancy Pants, Doug Paisley, Fred Penner, Perch Creek, Poor Man's Whiskey, Natalie Prass, The Spring Standard, Jamie Stone's Lomax Project, Sultans of String, Tommy Crest, Team, Thus Owl, Tribekistan, Riley Walker, The Weather Station, Jason Wilson and Pee Wee Ellis, and more to be announced. For more information about Purchasing tickets to this accessible event, please visit hillsidefestival.ca. Singing, singing our heart song. Hey, sis, family, 
This is unity. It's a celebration. This is sacred. We are spiraling, spiraling together. Onward, inward, creature to creation. Holy mystery. Mother Earth, childbirth. This is Mother Nature. This is sacred. We are circling, circling together. We are singing, singing our hearts song. This is family. This is unity. This is celebration. This is sacred. We are spinning. Spinning all together, we are singing over the rainbow. This is harmony, this is community, this is celebration, this is sacred. Bobby St. Marie is an iconic, multifaceted artist and socio-political force of nature who originally hails from Piapot Cree First Nations Reserve in the Capel Valley in Saskatchewan. Over six decades, her music has been interpreted by everyone from Elvis Presley and Janis Joplin to A Tribe Called Red and Courtney Love, and her composition, Up Where We Belong, won the 1982 Academy Award for Best Song. She's an outspoken advocate for many progressive causes, perhaps most notably the advancement of Native American and Aboriginal Canadian rights and cultural awareness. Her latest album is a bold, eclectic one, called Power in the Blood. It's out now via True North Records, and it's prompted her to embark on an intense world tour with many Canadian dates scheduled this summer. Here now to discuss this further is the legendary Buffy St. Marie. Hello, Buffy. How are you? I'm doing good, Vish. Thank you. Now, where are you right now? <laughs> We're in Ottawa. I'm, uh, I'm in somebody's car, uh, pulled off to a quiet side street, so I hope you can hear me okay. <laughs> I can hear you just fine. It's nice that you and I, you may not, I, I, I'm certain you don't recall this, but Owen Pallett introduced you and, and my, you and I met, I think, via Owen Pallett at the Hillside Festival. Oh, how nice. What an artist he is. He's a great guy. Oh, actually, and then you and I were both at the Dawson City Music Festival at the same time, too, now that I think about it. <laughs> We've got to stop meeting like this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you are in Ottawa. I, I think it uh, behooves me to ask you, uh, what to you is the significance of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and its recommendations? Oh, boy. 94 incredibly important recommendations the, uh, the whole truth and reconciliation uh, process is a dream come true for me and a lot of other Aboriginal people who've been working on this issue, in my case, for 50 years. Uh, in, in the early 60s, I wrote a song called My Country Tis of the People You're Dying, and uh, it used the word genocide in connection with, uh, uh, you know, the Americas, and people didn't really talk about those things in those days, and sometimes, even today, people don't like to talk about it. And I, I really believe it's because they don't have the information uh, uh, available to them. When they do actually see what happened in Canada, I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind that, yes, of course, it was genocide. And, um, you know, I, I have kind of a long list of thoughts about that, but, uh, I, you know, I don't want to concentrate on only one thing if uh, if you need to move on. So, no. your choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it brings up this point. At a recent lecture, Canadian Supreme Court Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin 
said at the time of colonization, Canada attempted to commit cultural genocide against Aboriginal peoples, and she referred to it as the worst stain on Canada's human rights record. This was a huge, unparalleled acknowledgement, and you mentioned that you used this phrase genocide decades ago. Were you surprised that someone in her position would use that phrase? Oh, not at all. No, I think anybody who actually looks at the uh, the information, which isn't hard to find, and uh, although it's been covered up a lot, I mean, it was it was uh, in the Ottawa Citizen as early as 1907. Uh, Dr. Peter Bryce was talking about uh, the abuse of Aboriginal children in residential schools across Canada, including deliberately exposing Native kids to tuberculosis and then leaving them alone to die. You know, it was terrible. There were electric chairs, there was electric torture, and uh, the, the long-term um, multi-generational effects of having children raised without parents. Instead of parents, you have bullying nuns and pedophile priests and Indian agents and politicians um, in collusion with the whole system and keeping it quiet and everybody pretending that it was for the good of the kids. I mean, it, it, it was just a terrible terrible series of events and went on for a very long time. So um, although Aboriginal people and uh, many others have known about it for a long time, the fact that finally um, it's been thoroughly documented um, without any doubt, uh, it makes a difference. I mean, it's not, it's not happy news to discuss genocide or uh, you know, the terrible details of what went on in so many places for so long. Um, it's better to know than not to know. And, you know, we're finally at a place where we can continue to change things, hopefully in a bigger way. Uh, you know, it's kind of like if, if you had a, a family member murdered and there was no investigation made, when you finally find out, it's better than not knowing. Absolutely, so yes. People have been working on it for a long time, and now more than ever, uh, there, are, there are more eyes open than ever before. Now, you mentioned that this is a dream come true to have all of this documented. You've been in Ottawa for, what, the last few days. What, what has your role been there? Oh, actually, I just came up to, uh, to do a, a concert uh, for the, uh, the closing of... Um, of these few days, um, you know, of the issuing of the report and to support the, uh, the survivors, the people, the educators who have been aware and who want everybody to understand. You know, it's long been my, um, my own personal feeling, even back in the 60s when I was writing songs like uh, Now the Buffalo's Gone and My Country Tis of Thy People, You're Dying. It's long been my feeling that if only those nice white people knew, then they would help. And I think I was right, and a lot of nice white people did help. Right. But it got hushed up again very fast, you know. And uh, this time I don't think it's going to, I think the cat's out of the bag. The information is on the table. The universities are aware. And the good news is that over these years, I've been working with a lot of Canadian university teacher education departments where professors train teachers who become classroom teachers. And, of course, most of the university professors have had no access to the information that has recently been revealed to everybody. Mm -hmm. And um, so now that they too know and are mandated to address Aboriginal issues in colleges, 
uh, it makes it easier for those of us who know how to do it and who've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, I want to revisit this idea of a, of a lack of information and an increasing uh, people's ability to gain knowledge on these issues in a moment. But were you? You, I take it you were in Rideau <laughs> Hall during the closing ceremony. Is that accurate? Is that true? No, no, no. Um, I've been on a world tour, as you mentioned, and I was unable to come in uh, early enough to actually participate in person. Okay. So those people who were honorary witnesses who could not actually make that ceremony, we were represented. In, in my case, I was represented by a guitar uh, and other people who were unable to uh, attend, uh, you know, because of travel restriction. So I came in um, the day after, and I participated uh, as, uh, you know, doing that final concert. Okay. Uh, and the um, and so I, I was pinned and acknowledged and gifted um, by the three commissioners uh, at the concert. So okay. my timing was a little different. <laughs> okay. Now, how would you characterize the response of Prime Minister Stephen Harper's government to these findings thus far? Because they've mostly been silent. Oh no, they don't. I don't think they really care. But that's that's okay. They're not the only people in the world, you know. With, with them or without them, we've we've been doing this for a long time. And with them or without them, uh, you know, life will continue to flourish. No, I wasn't surprised. So I would be surprised if they um, uh, did wake up and address it. That'd be a, that'd be a good surprise for sure. Now, <laughs> I don't. I don't think. I think. I think they're about money and business and their own cronies. So, okay. but that's okay. You know, you can't. You can't. You can't get mad and hate an entire country because. One administration of bonehead uh, is still asleep at the wheel. I, I went through blacklisting in the United States with the Lyndon Johnson administration right, right. and the Richard Nixon administration because they did not want me to mention on television that there was a war in Vietnam. They were saying that there was no war in Vietnam. And also uh, in the Nixon administration, I was sticking up for American Indian rights. Uh, during the Wounded Knee time when an eighth of the reservation containing uranium was being transferred into private hands into the cronies of the Nixon administration. So we do get these racketeer administrations every now and then, uh, but they don't last forever. And, and it affects the country in some ways, but there are a lot more of us than there are racketeers. And I think more and more people are waking up to the big racket that's been going on for a very long time in terms of colonialism. Now, you mentioned that you pay little credence to uh, the administration here, and you've you've had ex bad experiences with American administrations in the past. Uh, NDP leader Thomas Mulcair has said that if elected, his government would immediately launch a public inquiry into murdered and missing Aboriginal women and create a respectful nation-to-nation -nation approach. It is election time here in Canada. Do you take any such statements seriously, or are you cynical of even someone like him? really cynical. I'm always hoping for the best. You know, I, I think those are good words. And I, you know, I, I, I hope that uh, whoever is elected has that approach. Um, but, you know, regardless of, um, regardless of leadership, um, Idle No More has been going on for uh, long before you heard about Idle No More. Idle No More is addressing the same kind of indigenous issues that we've been addressing forever. And we keep on improving things. We keep on improving things year after year, decade after decade. And looking back 50 years from when I first used the word genocide in a song, uh, things have changed a lot. You know, things have changed a lot. And I have great hope. I mean, they said that there would never be an end to slavery because there were too many rich people into it, right? And there was too much sex involved. And you, you know, just name it. Yeah. But there was an end to slavery. They said that women would never get the vote because men are boneheads and they would never allow, you know. 
and we do have the vote. So, you know, things can change. Things are changing and will continue to change. And hopefully political leaders will um, be part of the solution. That makes sense. Eh? We, we have every reason to be optimistic given the precedents in history. I see what you're saying there. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. now, speaking of, as I say, you, you mentioned that information and knowledge is important and, and that seems to be spreading. One of my recent guests on this show is a Hamilton-based hip-hop artist. His name is Lee Reed. And he brought up the fact that uh, South African apartheid was essentially modeled after Canada's treatment and segregation of Aboriginal people. One of the points he was making is that Canadians seem willfully blind or ignorant about such matters. We tend to see ourselves as a good nation. But in terms of recognition and awareness of our country's darker side, do you feel the tide shifting? Do you feel like people are becoming better informed and we're making progress in that regard? Well, you know, I'm kind of a sweet teacher. Before I was ever a singer, I was a school teacher. <laughs> so I, I tend to really hope for the best and try to give people, deliver messages in a kind way. And I, I do, um, I, I'm convinced that Canadian people have not known how they were um, um, involved in just the collusion of the residential schools um, having happened. And I don't think people are really aware of the facts. So I'm always hoping that um, uh, Canada, the good, will turn out to be that way. But so long as we're afraid of um, addressing what needs to be fixed, uh, we'll remain blind. And sometimes there are people who want us to remain blind. But as, as concerns residential schools, missing and murdered Indigenous women, and many other um, uh, local and national issues... Um, you know, we we just keep on keeping on, yeah. um, and I I don't think the people I don't think the Canadians are willfully blind. I think they have been willfully kept blind mm. by you know lots of different factors, but uh, on on those two issues, uh uh-uh. uh, no more blindness. No time to wake up. <laughs> you mentioned that Idle No More was going on well before mainstream media attention. That that this was a movement that was that had a lot of strength prior to everyone drawing attention to it. Can you highlight any any other such initiatives or movements going on now that that people like us can maybe get behind or support? You know, things that are happening under the surface that we may not be aware of. Well, you know, I don't know. More is not like an organization that has a president and a vice president and you know corporate bylaws. It's not a corporation. It's whoever shows up. It's a genuine grassroots movement, right. just like the student movements of the '60s was. I mean, whether you're thinking about the U.S. and, and uh, getting out of Vietnam or whether you're thinking about um, Aboriginal rights in Canada and the U.S. in the 70s with the American Indian Movement, we've been pushing forward and m- trying to make things better for a very long time. But I don't know more. Don't forget, it's local. It's not only global. That's true. Mm-hmm. But it's also local. And so people respond at the moment to individual issues, usually in in uh, in the case of I don't know more, uh, usually it has to do either with our natural environment, which concerns everybody, or missing and murdered Indigenous women, which is so so prominent in in people's minds right now. Mm-hmm. And just thinking about missing and murdered Indigenous women, think about women globally. Who kills women? Who hurts women? Is it other women? Not usually. Is it kids? Not usually. It's usually men. And so. It's a deeper issue, and it's a global issue of how do we raise our sons 
um, to escape the militarism, the bullying that, that happens to so many uh, men, either in their families or in their neighborhoods. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hoods, or you know, in, in their young adult lives, um, in in gangs and the military. I mean, there's a lot more to life than um, combat and picking up a gun. And though I truly believe that there's a difference between the female and the male brain, and uh, it's backed up with um, functional MRI um, um, uh, films. Um, you know, men and women are very different, and men are, have a part of their brain that's very strong on sex and aggression. But yeah. that part of a brain in, in, in a female fetus is dedicated to communication and conflict avoidance. And really, um, if you play up the wrong side of um, a person's uh, character and personality, you can create more and more violence in society. But you can also... You can also uh, be a Gandhi kind of person who will say, yes, there are many, many causes that I would die for, but there is no cause that I would kill for. And uh, alternative conflict resolution, nonviolent solutions are possible. But look at our world today. We have five heavily funded colleges of war yeah. where you can get an advanced degree uh, in making war better. And we don't have one such college of um, nonviolent conflict resolution, not one, but yeah. we could and we need to. So we need to do this work. And so I'm very, very positive that things are always in motion, are always changing, and we can always influence them as individuals as well as in groups. I do really appreciate your insight there and sort of, uh, you know, highlighting the fact that this is a, a universal issue. It's not simply an issue that, uh, I mean, it, it has greatly affected your community and, and your culture, but I, I do appreciate that you highlight this. I'm a father. I'm a I have a three and a half year old son and a, a six month old daughter, and I, you know, I, I'm very hyper conscious of everything I do and, and how it might influence them. So, <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! It's great. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, and I do my best, and I think uh, I think it's advisable for for all of us to do the same. Now, now let's talk about this remarkable new record of yours, "Power in the Blood." Um, you launched the record with a new version of "It's My Way," the title track from your 1964 debut album and as a gesture to me anyway it feels almost like a conversation between you at 74 years old and you at around 23 years old um <laughs> what do you make of that why did you decide to come full circle at this point oh actually it's it's a pretty easy reason um i had been performing that song on stage with my band as well as most of the other songs that are on this album 
we have been performing them on stage for six years. We were supposed to go on a two-year world tour with Running for the Drum, which was my last album. Yes. <laughs> and so we were into the sixth year of that two-year tour <laughs> when True North came and asked, did I want to record? So we were ready with a lot of songs, and It's My Way was one of them. So I didn't give it a second thought. It's a great song. It's a rocker. It has a universal message. It's me actually singing to the audience, even though I'm talking about um, myself. And by the way, when I say the title, I, always, I don't emphasize the word my, I emphasize the word way. I say, it's my way. It's my path. Okay. Yeah? yeah. It's not, it's my way, not yours. <laughs> so, um, so although I'm singing about myself, I'm actually, I'm actually hoping to inspire uniqueness in, in whoever's listening, in my audience. Because I think that uniqueness is a great, great creative gift that each one of us has. But at the moment in the history of the human species, we don't emphasize it very much. We're kind of afraid of uniqueness. We're afraid of the word to mutate. And yet we're supposed to be ripening and evolving every single day in my world. That's where I get my strength is knowing that tomorrow is going to be another chance. I'm going to be smarter. I'm going to have more experience. I'm going to meet some new people to learn from and maybe to pass something on to. Mm -hmm. So I really, really do have like this ever ripening um attitude that uh, that I see everywhere. I, I think that uh, the world is better than it was yesterday. It's certainly better than it was 50 years ago. Okay, so the the through line between you as a 20, you know, someone in your 20s and you at 74, I mean, it's essentially, this song is, you say it, it has universal themes on some level and that a lot of us can relate to it, but for you, you're, you're saying it's not a pointed, there's no pointed reason for you to redo this song at this point. No, no, it's just that uh, we're, we're rocking out with it every night on stage, and uh, people ask, where can I get it? So what, am I going to have them go and look up some vinyl record that, <laughs> that you can't even find anymore? Why not re-record this thing with a contemporary band and, uh, you know, contemporary sounds? So that's what we've done with this album. As, as, as usual with my albums, it's really diverse. It has big rockers. I mean, not the loving kind is, you know, it's a... It's an obvious kiss-off song, you know, just yeah. saying goodbye to some jerk. Um, you're just not the loving kind. Uh, Power in the Blood is a, is a um, um, you know, it's a, um, it's like a an song ED, that it's an EDM was originally song. written yeah. by Alabama 3. Yeah, right. And they wrote, woke up this morning, got yourself a gun. So their version of Power in the Blood, although they're, ta they're taking on all the, all the corporate issues of, our contemporary times, they're saying, and when that call it comes, they will be ready for war. So they're big fans of mine, and I'm a big fan of theirs. So I told them, oh, this song would make a great peace song. Of course, they left. But I, I re-recorded it. I changed the words. And so I'm saying, and when that call it comes, I will say no, no, no to war. And it's talking about um, military interests and weaponizing pesticides and GMOs in paradise. It says, uh, young soldiers driving tanks, but old thieves, they drive the banks, and you never see a uniform on Wall Street. So yeah. I, I changed uh, the lyrics. And you mentioned apartheid. Uh, I also did um, a song that UB40 had written uh, for the Nelson Mandela uh, anti-apartheid movement. It became a big anthem in South Africa. Right. So, but I, I, I changed it. I, I turned it into uh, a contemporary song about um, Native American, you know, First Nations people um, in the Americas. 
and uh, um, uh, I, I sampled Northern Cree, who were a, just a fantastic, wonderful powwow group. Right. Everybody's favorite group. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's interesting for me to learn all of this. I didn't realize there might be a connection between your album and the, the people who wrote the theme song for The Sopranos. <laughs> I know, it's a funny combination, huh? No, we're just big mutual fans for some yeah. reason. I. Yeah, and, and the energy that they have in, in uh, their song, uh, I mean, I think people ought to listen to both versions because they're, they're both great. Yeah. There's another song uh, on Power in the Blood. There's another song called Generation that mentions Idle No More. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, also uh, Sing Our Own Song, I also mention Idle No More in that. So it's a very contemporary record, even though it has some songs that have been revisited. Uh, you know, maybe they came out during the blacklist years when there could be no airplay for Buffy St. Marie. Um, so people never got to hear a whole bunch of songs and a couple of them we put on this album as well. And they're, because they are, do have universal themes and they really rock, uh, they feel very contemporary. Yeah, the first time Which I... songs don't go away. <laughs> right, yeah. The first time I heard We Are Circling was on the Sadie's last album, Internal Sounds, but it appears in a new version here. What's the story behind that song? That song was a, was a one-verse hippie campfire song. All it said is, we are circling, we are circling, right? And I, I added verse after verse to it and just made it real contemporary. And the Sadies wanted me to do something on their album, and I had been playing with that song. So I, I sent them a little version of just me singing with, um, with mouth bows. And they added some electronics to it, and their yeah. version is their version. So that was nice. I was very flattered to be invited. But my own version is very different. My own version I recorded with John Levine, who's a Toronto producer, now living in L.A. and making great records. He did Serena Ryder's yeah. album. He yeah. works with Nelly Furtado. And um, when I, um, I was going to use three producers for this album, and I had made lots of home demos, so I don't know, 30, 40 songs, and I let the producers choose the songs they wanted to work on. So everybody was really uh, in love with the songs before we even started working. And We Are Circling turned out to be, uh, yeah, I, again, I used a mouth bow on it, but we, we just played with the mouth bow sound and uh, added some great drums. And, you know, I did a lot of multi-tracking of vocals and harmonies, and I added uh, a guitar just in the right spot. So it was really a lot of fun. Yeah, it's an amazing version of that song. I, I love both versions, but that, yours, the, the new one is particularly great. Um, now, artists like A Tribe Called Red have been drawing connections between powwow drumming and electronic dance music, and the title track of Power in the Blood, which we've discussed already, it's a really overt EDM song. What compelled you to incorporate that sound? I was just kind of, it's the kind of thing that I had been doing over the years. I mean, EDM is not new. EDM as a, a genre that record companies push, that's kind of new. But, you know, people have been doing EDM for a real long time. I mean, people were doing, I was doing electronic music in the 60s and the 70s that's and right. the 80s. Brian Eno was doing electronic music. But for it to be a catchphrase for the public, that seems to be quite new. But um, uh, it just, seemed right to um to do it the way that we did it um uh, i also gave a tribe called red their friends of mine i gave them a song called working for the government that that uh and they did a new version of that they sampled from my song working for the government Mm -hmm. which (laughs) which is a pretty high-tech version itself but they made it even higher techier (laughs) (laughs) it's musicians having fun very often and, and and that can't be bad now, you are something of a trailblazer. It's come up a few times, uh, uh, I think, just or, or rather, I think that you, you, you see mainstream culture having to play catch-up with 
things you're involved in and things the culture are involved in. And that's that's usually the way it works, you know, the way grassroots movements work. But I, w- I have been really fascinated reading about your early adoption of Apple computers as a home recording medium. And I'm, uh-huh. I'm curious, was this kind of sort of DIY work common among your peers at the time? Or is this just something you came upon yourself? No, no. I, 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 when you say my peers, I don't know who you're even thinking about because I live in a farm in the middle of nowhere and I was never a part of that. Um, I was never a part of that kind of folky group that hung out together and drank beer on Saturday nights. I, I, was, I wasn't invited. Uh, I wasn't part of the, um, the civil rights photo ops and things. I wasn't there. I was covering the one base that I thought I could do well, which was in Indian country, and there wasn't anybody else there. Okay. And um, uh, so I was kind of a loner from the beginning, and I've lived in Hawaii for over 50 years, and I got my own studio real early. I mean, I got rich and famous when I was 22. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I would have three meals a day probably for the rest of my life, so I have, I've had a home studio for a long time. And in 1966, I guess it was, I came out with uh, the first ever vocal, um, electronic vocal album. It was called Illuminations. And although folk people just held their noses and walked the other way, electronic music students and art students just thought it was the best thing ever. And there was no way to take that technology except into movie scoring, which I did. So during the times when I was being blacklisted, I went to Sesame Street to continue to reach people with an Indians exist audience. Right. And I went to movie scoring to continue with electronic music. So I was using ARPs and Moogs and Synclaviers and Fairlight, which was they were the first um, um, music computers. And then when uh, a Macintosh came along, oh, all of a sudden I was a happy girl. I got a Macintosh. <laughs> In, uh, in 1984, and I started using my Macintosh for electronic painting, electronic music, doing all my typing. And then when I would um, uh, when I would have to travel, I would just put a floppy disk in my purse and continue with rented computers in Toronto. So wow, yeah, I was very early. I, w- I had one of the first websites. But you couldn't talk people into being interested in computers until the business community smelled money. You couldn't. I tried to explain websites to record companies. Until they smelled money, they didn't want to know. They thought that it was something like a typewriter, and and the, uh, the, um, the comment was always, oh, I let my girl do that. (laughs) <laughs> right. So are you still using uh, Mac-based stuff? Are you still using computers on your own? I do, yeah. And uh, uh, for this new album, what I did was I put all my demos, uh, you know, I recorded them at home, so I had pretty nice demos to play the different producers. Then I let them choose what they what they wanted to work on. So okay. that was really nice. Okay, so you're still, I mean, this is commonplace. Now, lots of people are doing this. In a sense, you were a pioneer of home recording, I think. Kind of, yeah, and digital art, too. I mean, people uh, just did not associate computers with art, you know, long ago. And I was using my computer in the 80s and the 90s. In the 90s, I had the first huge-scale um, digital paintings in museums in North America. Oh. I mean, people just they associated computers with pie charts and doing your taxes, you know. They didn't realize that all you're really doing is recording brush strokes and sounds and um, uh, keystrokes, you know, when you're typing a, typing a letter. Uh, it doesn't take the place of your brain. It's just a way to record what it is that you're creating. So I'm, I've always been happy with uh, with a Macintosh right. as a creative tool. Right. Now, I mentioned that you've revisited some of your earliest material on this new album. We were talking about that uh, earlier. Do you, do you spend much time now pondering your legacy as an artist? 
<laughs> no, only when I talk to somebody like you and you bring it up. No, for the most <laughs> part, I'm, I'm for the most part, I'm kind of breathing in and breathing out and see what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 happy with your contribution to to the culture generally, though. I don't think about it much. Most of the time, I'm out there with my goats and my little horse and my kitty cat and my life and. Um, I, I live in Hawaii, but I'm on the road all the time. So I'm always meeting new people who think differently from me. And I'm always learning new things. I don't think too much about, um, um, you know, the, the kind of things that you mentioned, like legacy. I mean, when you ask me about it, yeah, I guess I am. I mean, it really bothers me that I was gagged in at a certain point, you know, because in show business, when somebody holds you underwater for, uh, for four minutes, you know, you're dead for a real long time. You never really do um, resuscitate a career. And I really did want to um, give information to people that they were not getting in other ways. And so in the U.S., I think I probably could have been a lot more effective than I was. But I, it's not as though I, I stopped. It's just that people stopped hearing from me because there was somebody blocking their ears from hearing people like me. And and yet, you know, throughout the uh, 70s with the American Indian Movement, other people got hurt a lot worse than I did. You know, poor little me, I got a career drowned, but other people were killed or jailed or, mm-hmm. you know, burned alive in their homes or attacked by airplanes. You know, there were some really serious things that went down that most people aren't aware of. You know, a, a real good book, uh, Peter Matheson's In the Spirit of Crazy Horse, talks about um, what was going on in the 70s, Leonard Peltier and the American Indian Movement and the background of uh, Pine Ridge Reservation. Very interesting book. I, I appreciate that recommendation. I'm going to find that book. I haven't read that one. Um, well, we, we've got a lot of touring coming up, and you've already been going really hard. What, what's next for you beyond touring this album? Have you already made plans for your next artistic pursuit? No, I haven't. But um, I tell you, it's really been fun to revisit uh, a couple of those songs that I uh, recorded when I couldn't get any airplay. And it's kind of making me look back on other really strong songs that people have never heard a chance, had a chance to hear. So I don't know. I've been thinking, uh, especially the um, the Aboriginal Issues songs. A lot of people, I think, would like to hear them and, and are hoping that I'll, I'll do an album like that. And I haven't really decided, but it is making me uh, uh, look at some of my catalog that has, that, you know, that, that has been kept from people. So I might do that. Oh, I might not. <laughs> I might just stay home with a ghost. <laughs> a, a big thing these days is uh, reissuing catalogs, like reissuing vinyl records, you know, albums for, from artists that maybe aren't in print. Has there been any chatter about that with, with your work? Yeah, you know, uh, Running for the Drum, which was my last album, that that was issued uh, on vinyl in Europe anyway. And um, the other ones, I don't know. I, I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> People will find them if they can find them. Okay, that's, that's fair. Well, once again, Buffy St. Marie's new album is Power in the Blood. It's out now via True North Records, and she'll be touring throughout July and August in places like Reno, Nevada, Grass Valley, California, and in Canadian cities like Calgary, Edmonton, Huntsville, Brantford, and Little Current, among other places. For more information, uh, you can visit BuffyStMarie.com. Uh, Buffy, is there a song from the new record that we can uh, play for people right now? Oh, gosh. Uh, how's about Carry It On? Carry It On? Oh, why did that come to mind? I don't know. I'm just in a good mood. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good mood song. Okay. All right. This is Carry It On by Buffy St. Marie. Buffy, it was truly an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. And thank you for your inspirational work and, and continued success. Thank you, Vish. Thanks a lot. 
my teeth as it is. So take heart and take care of your link with life. It's beautiful. If you got the sense to take care of your source of perfection. Mother Nature, she's the daughter of God and the source of all protection. Look right now and you will see she's only here by the skin of her teeth as it is. So take heart. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.